Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. The crew on my strange boat today is Sam Edmonds. Sam's a young man who in a very short time has become one of the best known and most talented lure anglers in the country. He's represented England in the World Lure Championship and has a massively impressive list of captures, including many species that would never normally be associated with lure fishing. Wherever you're listening, listen well, because this is a very impressive angler with a lot to learn from. How's that for a build-up, Sam? (laughs) Wow, that sounds pretty um, fantastic. (laughs) Um, Thank you very much for inviting me on, Keith. You're welcome, mate. But now, now, where did we first meet? Because my battered old brain forgets these things it was a long while ago wasn't it do you know i think the first time we met was actually in key west so um was it well we 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 got to know you before then because um when i was 10 um me and my dad decided to embark on a challenge all around the country trying to catch as many different freshwater species as we could over the course of 28 days and we were raising money for for charity and um, when you were on Fisherman's Blues on TalkSport, I would go on the show every weekend and, and give the listeners updates. And um, 
you know, I can't thank you enough for that. So uh, I got to know you a little bit through Fisherman's Blues and all your help there. And then uh, a couple of years later, um, me and my mum and dad and nan and granddad were on holiday in Key West. And um, we had a couple of days fishing booked up with Damon Santelli. And um, we oh, met yeah. you, we, we, we met you, um, I think it was down at the dock, actually. So um, that was down the first the time dock, we met. The old city marina. Yeah, that's it. City Marina, mate. They were great days. Got the fish that we used to we caught then, and I only stopped going a couple of years ago. But uh, yeah, fantastic. Well, that's that's good. I'm glad you reminded me of that because I've I've not got a clue. So that would have been, well, must be twelve, thirteen years ago. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I think it would probably be something like that. Yeah. So what got you into fishing? I, I know your dad was a bit of a fishing nut, so and still is a major fishing nut. Was it just you sort of him dragging you along, or were you voluntarily um, holding his hand, sort of thing? Um, well, I mean, he, he was the one that introduced me to fishing, and it was at a very early age, so I kind of grew up with it, really. Um, my first experiences of, of fishing were wading in my local River Bean, which is a tiny little chalk stream, and it's a tributary of the River Lee. And we used to go down there lifting up rocks, and we'd be catching bullets and stone loach, and it's great fun, actually. So um, they're my earliest experiences. And then he introduced me to fishing on a whip, and I would he would take me down onto the River Lee, and... Uh, you know, I would fish for bleak roach and, and small chublets doing that. But uh, I spent a lot of time fishing on the rivers around my local area. So I'm based just outside Hartford. And um, there's there's some great fishing around here. And it's got a lot of history to it as well. well you, you mentioned the bean, and, and that was made famous by Dick Walker all those years ago with when he, he had the mystical double of a two-pound roach and a one-pound dace in the same session, and then repeated the feat for BBC Radio. Yeah, that, that, it's incredible to, to envisage that, really, because, um, I mean, my dad grew up fishing the bean. Um, my nan and granddad's house is actually based right next to the river. They moved up from London when my dad was about eight or nine years old. So uh, my dad grew up fishing the bean for its roach and dace. And uh, interestingly, I was reading through your column in the Angling Times and you recently had um, a piece in there. It was about when Dick Walker caught the, the two pound plus roach and the pound plus dace for the camera. And uh, that was at a place called Horseshoe Falls, yeah. which is a, a tiny little weir, oh, which yeah. is about a mile or two north of Hartford. And um, my dad had some great times fishing in that weir, but unfortunately now, because of the abstraction on the river, it's 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 just a trickle, really. Uh, it's a real shame, and, and the weir's basically collapsed. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's incredible looking at old pictures of that weir from uh, many years ago, um, seeing how, you know, the weir looked, and it, it just looked like a fantastic river, but unfortunately it's uh, it's gone downhill a fair bit. I've been following Fiegel Sharkey um, quite closely. He's working very hard on the on the Hertfordshire and all the, the the English chalk streams. And you consider these are these are really world heritage sites. They are actually world heritage sites. We've got eighty five percent of them in the south of England. Eighty five percent of the chalk streams in the entire world are in the south of England, and they're going to pot because we've got so many people living here. We can't cope with the, the amount of rain we get from the sky 
doesn't have time to replenish the, the the water that we drain out of the aquifer that forms those chalk streams. That's another story for another day. But I remember we were on a day at Rib Valley and and somebody wanted to go pond dipping and we didn't have any pond dipping facilities. So I took them over to the River Bean and stood in, in my um, walking shoes and didn't get wet. And Matt, but managed to find a bullet under one of the stones for a, a couple from Korea with their little boy. And they were absolutely fascinated by this tiny little bullet that had come out of literally three inches of water um, just by turning over the stone and putting a little net beside it. So, yeah, I, I, I remember catching stone notes, but I used to catch them from the Lee uh, behind Tottenham football ground at, at behind the old Spurs ground at, uh, at Northumberland Park. It was the only time I went near the place, of course. I wouldn't go there to watch football. <laughs> no, you wouldn't want to um, go near there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did actually, but, but but like you, I'm I'm part of the red part of uh, of North London. So you, you got into fishing at a very early age and, and I mean, you're still a young man now, but what made you sort of specialise in lure fishing? I think, well, what happened was that my dad and granddad were both keen anglers and they loved fishing not only in the, the UK but abroad as well and it all kind of stemmed back from a holiday that my nan and granddad went on where they went to Florida and my granddad had been into the worldwide sportsman in Isla Mirada and he'd brought some Always lures. A mistake <laughs> and he brought some lures in the uh, shop he brought them back to the UK for uh, me and my dad to try because he thought that they looked like really interesting um, lures that could work well for pike, perch and zander. And we thought the same. So um, we decided to give them a go on our local rivers. And they turned out to work really well, especially for the perch. So um, on future holidays to Florida, we'd always pop into the tackle shops. And, well, I say pop in. It would be more like a few hours in there. You can get really carried away. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we loved experimenting and trying different lures, uh, not only here, but uh, out in Florida and, and other places as well. And we really enjoyed that style of fishing, trying different lures and, and fishing for different species with them as well. It's a good active style, isn't it? It's, it's something that keeps you on your toes. You're, you're, unless you're in a boat, you're really sitting in one place for, or standing in one place for very long. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very active way of fishing. You know, you're covering lots of water. Um, you can pop out for half an hour uh, and fish if you want. You know, it doesn't need to be a whole day thing. Um, I used to go fishing after school for a, an hour or two. Um, you know, you can, you can do it for a very short space of time. Um, you can carry all of your gear in a small rucksack along with other essentials, such as an unhooking mat and net and pliers. Um, yeah, and I think it was just the, the simplicity and the how active it is that uh, I really found interesting. And that's how I got addicted to it, really. You said after school and for a couple of hours, what you really meant was until it was pitch dark and your dinner was ruined, because that's what <laughs> was happened to me. Yeah, um, no, sometimes we would fish into the dark uh, for an hour or two, because... Um, that can that can be an especially good time for for chub. So um, you know we, we've caught some of our biggest chub on lures um, fishing into the dark, especially around areas where there's floodlights. So um, yeah, in, in in the winter months when you know the the it's getting dark at sort of half four or five o'clock in the evening, 
uh, when I finished school at half three, it only gave me an hour or so of light. So we'd often fish um, an hour or so in, into the dark, into the pitch black. And um, yeah, sometimes uh, it, it could fish really well. It's incredible, you know, you mentioned that about Chubb, and I'll tell you something that completely nothing to do with this conversation, but something I learned about Chubb some years ago. I was fishing the event at the Complete Angler Hotel at Marlow, and there was, which I was lucky enough to win, um, I didn't catch any Chubb, but there was a, a woman there doing some research on behalf of the Environment Agency, and, and she'd tagged Chubb, and she was electro-tagged them, and she was measuring their movement. And during the day they could swim as little as 30 metres during the whole course of the day and at night as much as seven kilometres. Wow. So that tells you that Chubb are pretty active nocturnal hunters, doesn't it? Yet nobody that I know of, um, nobody goes out and specially fishes for Chubb at night. There's obviously some the, the odd um, bycatch when, when people are barbel fishing, maybe even carp fishing on rivers. But yeah, that, I, I thought that was, that was quite a surprise. 30, 30 metres during the day, as little as 30 metres during the day and as much as seven kilometres at night. And that, that was on the Thames. That was at, at sort of between Marlow and Bourne End, that kind of area, Cookham, probably between Cookham Weir and Marlow Weir, I would think. Oh, that's an incredible distance. But you mentioned the Thames and, and me and my dad have had some great times fishing the Thames on our, our little sea nymph boat. And what we would often do, especially in the summer months, is go down there and spend the night on the river. So um, what we would do is, is lure fish until one or two o'clock in the morning, get a couple of hours kip on the bank, and then as the sun was coming up, we'd start fishing again. It would be quite a tiring uh, session, all in all, but um, we had some Sounds great times yeah. and, and caught some, some really nice fish too. The, the Thames is, I can, I mean, I can't see the Thames from where I'm sitting now because I can't turn around to look. But if I could turn around to look, I could see the trees on the banks of the Thames. There, there, it's about 250, 300 metres from where I'm sitting. So, yeah, I've, I've spent a little bit of time, not enough time, uh, fishing down to myself. And lure fishing is just so thrilling because... You, you, Although I usually know what I'm going to catch, and it's usually going to be a perch. Occasionally, it's a pike. Um, but you, you've had ridiculous numbers of species. I remember one day when we had an open day at Get Hooked on Fishing, and I was doing it the, the, in North Alla Fields in the park next to the A40 where the big mounds are. And um, I'm, I'm, I know you know where it is, but I'm saying that for the benefit of others that may not. Uh, and I was fishing to the usual pole with maggots and a bit of sweet corn and something. And I was really, really struggling. I think I had something like 18 or 20 fish. And you and your dad had 50 using artificial lures, including things like crucians and tench. How does that work? Well, I, th I think it's, it's almost like light rock fishing in fresh water. So what you're doing is that you're using tiny little soft baits that could imitate things that, you know, smaller species like rudd, which I know there are plenty of in uh, Get Hooked on Fishing Ealing, roach, um, even tension crucian carp, which we caught on that day as well, will eat. So, um, you know, I mean, that day we were using like artificial maggots, um, little insect imitations, that kind of thing. And on on the on really light gear, it can be great fun. It certainly looked it that day. It, it looked remarkable. And of course, anybody with an hour to spend fishing, if, if I go fishing with my normal match tackle. I couldn't possibly be, I couldn't have a bait in the water in an hour 
because by the time I've set my box up, by the time I've set a rig up, by the time I've plumbed the depth, no, I, I wouldn't. It'd take me that long to set my box up and, and, and get my trays around me and all the bait sorted. I'd never be fishing it now, but I can get, get a lure rod. I can walk to the river, catch a couple of fish, and walk back all within that same hour. Because, you know, it's a little six foot or seven foot rod already made up. There's a, a, a lure connector on the end, clip a lure on, chuck it out. In fact, you don't get a bite on that one in a couple of minutes, put a different one on, chuck that out. And it, it, it really is remarkable for instant fishing. It's the obvious way to go. I mean, what you can do is, I mean, I leave my rod set up a lot of the time. And, you know, if I just want to pop out and get my fix for an hour or two, I can just put the rod and the rest of the gear in the car drive to wherever I want to fish and I'm pretty much ready to go. I can just walk to the river, clip a lure on, as you say, and then start fishing. What, what do you consider your best lure catches? I don't mean you can have the biggest if you want. What, what have you enjoyed catching most on lures? Ooh, uh, that's a really difficult question because I love fishing for all oh, different no, species of fish. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've been lucky that I've, I've fished for lots of different species, not only in the UK, but abroad as well. And I enjoy learning about the different species before I actually go and fish for them. So their behavior, the types of lures that might work for them as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's always fun learning about the, the, the species and, um, you know, going setting yourself out really to to try and catch them but um in the uk i would say perch are, are definitely one of my favorite species and I've, I've been lucky to to catch some fantastic fish um from my local river lee actually um over the years so big perch are a favorite of mine uh pike as well um i think uh that fishing on the reservoirs for pike, you you never know what you're going to hook next, really. It, it, it could be a jack pike or it could be a 30. So uh, I love that mystery. And then also Xander as well. So, um, you know, I've had some great fun fishing on uh, reservoirs such as Rutland and Grafham for Xander over the years. Again, you, you never know what you could hook. It, it could be a small one or it could be a potential record. Is it the case, like with bait, that it's not necessarily the bigger the lure, the bigger the fish? Yeah, and it can be that way at times. Um, I mean, it, it, there are there are some of my biggest fish, or of certain species, have been caught on relatively small lures. So, um, mm. I mean, there was one time I was I was drop shotting on on my local river rib, and uh, I was using a tiny little creature bait. It was only an inch long. And uh, I caught a pike of around 16 pound whilst I was targeting small perch and chub. So, um, you know, it it can kind of take you by surprise at times, um, you know, when you're using small lures, because you never know when a bigger fish could turn up. You've you've taken me on a path there that I'm really glad you've stepped on. The uh, creature bait. I'm not going to ask you how many types of lure there are because you wouldn't be able to tell me in in the length of time that this podcast lasts because there are millions. But just describe a creature bait to us, a basic creature bait. A creature bait is a term used for a soft bait that could imitate an invertebrate that normally lives somewhere near the bottom. So that could be a crayfish. It could be... um, 
you know, a small invertebrate such as uh, a water boatman or uh, a mayfly nymph, uh, caddisfly, anything that, that is resembling an invertebrate, really, is, is what a, a creature bait is. And, and when you say soft plastics, now these, most people would look, think, most people that have ever heard of lure fishing will close their eyes and see a spinner, quite often a mackerel spinner. They may see a plug which now have got various different name, uh, names, be, descriptions, because there are so many different types. But they would see what, what you and I would now call a crankbait. They'll see that in their mind. Um, and But a plastic bait, and, and they've, they come with hooks on. But a creature bait, and most of the soft plastics, do you buy those with hooks already in, or do you buy them and, and, and construct your own rigs? Most soft plastics are unrigged. So what you would have to do is buy the hooks, which could be something like a jig head or an extra wide gape hook, which is used for Texas rigging. Um, and that is for fishing through snags and weed. So um, you buy the hook separately. And then what you do is that you rig the soft bait onto the hook and then you clip the, the lure onto your trace. Right. So now you, you've, you've given me another little avenue to go down there. Uh, you mentioned... <laughs> A jig head. Now that would that would have some kind of weight on it, would it? Yeah. So a jig head is is basically uh, like an Aberdeen style hook, which has got a fixed weight at the front of it. An Aberdeen hook is a long shank round bend thing, isn't it? I've used them, I've used them years ago in sea fishing, and now obviously I, I, I understand. I'm just just trying to make people that don't know anything about lure fishing or fishing at all understand what we're talking about. I'm I'm, I'm sort of part. Um, quiz master here and part interpreter so you'll have to put up with that for a little while <laughs> and, and you mentioned texas rigging now just just and it's so difficult to do these things um without vision like trying to explain how to tie a knot without pictures or a diagram but just to, don't tell us how to do it as much as what a texas rig actually means what the hook does in a texas rig or a texas rigged bait so when you rig a soft bait Texas style onto a hook, what you're doing is that you're rigging it so that the hook point is actually skin hooked, buried just under the skin of the soft bait. So what it allows you to do is to fish over weed and also through snags without the fear of losing quite as much equipment. And what happens is that when the fish takes the soft bait, it pushes the soft bait down exposes the hook point and when you strike you set the hook now I've, I've watched some of the the international bass fishing and the american bass fishing on tv and when you say set the hook they almost do a double flip back somersault <laughs> they strike so hard um, and a lot of the time they're fishing in, in what they would call deep cover or in 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 very very snaggy weedy areas and they do it i think to get the fish heading in their direction but it, it, do, do you have to use that kind of tactic or is it a more subtle strike no you don't you don't need to strike quite as aggressively as as the strikes that you've just been describing i think the reason that they're setting the hook quite as hard as that is because as you say they're fishing in what, what they call heavy cover which is like really thick weed so, um, no, you don't have to, to strike quite that aggressively. Um, it's just a case of a quick lift, really, and that should set the hook. I was watching someone fish a stick float and watching them strike. Very good angler, 
very good mm. angler. And I wanted to stick my head into the picture and say, don't strike like that fishing with a stick float because you're going to miss a lot of bites. Because he was doing the obvious thing that you do until you learn that you're doing it wrong, where the float was going from left to right. So his strike was from right to left. So the first thing he had to do, first thing he was doing, was dragging the stick float under the water, making that lovely noise that we all know so well, which cushions the impact of the strike. Whereas if you just lift the rod up in the air, lift the float out the water, basically, the hook is instantly in the fish and you're in control. But anyway, that's, that's a different story. So, so striking is very important in fishing and, and, and you don't need to be as violent as you see um, our mates from, from the, the, the pro bass world. So, you mentioned fishing. Uh, we, well, we've just mentioned fishing in, in the states. Uh, you, you fished internationally. You, you fish for England, haven't you? Yeah, um, I've, I've been lucky enough to fish for England in in two different disciplines. So um, my first sort of foray into international fishing was through fly fishing, and I've always enjoyed trout fishing, especially on on the big reservoirs. But um, when I was around fifteen. Um, I found out that there was an England team that fished in home internationals and it was an under 18 team. And I found out that the national championships was to be held on Grafham water that year. And the top 10 places would qualify for the team for the following year. So um, I decided to enter the match and I put in a lot of time practicing on Grafham. Thankfully, Grafham's only 50 minutes up the road from me. So um, every weekend I was up there with my dad and, and we would be practicing. And it came to the day of the match and Grafham had been fishing really hard. Um, I, th- I think the rod average was maybe one or two. Um, it was in the middle oh. of July and it was quite warm. Uh, on on the day of the match as well, there was a really strong breeze. So um, the conditions weren't particularly great. But um, what I decided to do on, on that day was um, I headed down to the, the bottom right-hand corner of Grafham, which is an area called Plumbers. And it's an area where you have the chance of possibly picking up a bigger fish and... I managed to catch one fish during the match and it was it was a good fish as well. It was four pound three and it won me the match. <laughs> so um, and I caught the biggest oh. fish as well and I managed to qualify for the team. So um, I couldn't believe it. Right. And I really enjoyed fishing in the, uh, the youth team. I learned so much fishing with, um, you know, some fantastic competition fly anglers. And I fished in two internationals. The first of those was on the Lake of Menteith in Scotland. Um, We came third on that occasion. So um, we went into the next uh, international, which was on Loch in Ireland, out to uh, try and beat the Scottish and the Irish. And we did. We we managed to win by the biggest margin on Irish soil. So um, it was an amazing experience. Yeah, you mentioned something there that's just rattled a little bolt loose in my brain. I think the Lake of Menteith is the only lake in Scotland. Yeah, I, I think, think it all is. the others are locks. 
Yep. I think there might be another one. There might be two, but I'm 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 quite confident that Lake of Menteith, if it's not unique, it's semi-unique uh, as being the only <laughs> lake in Scotland. But that uh, you, you mentioned about the, those competitions as well, and and you said headed down to Plumbers. You're in a boat, aren't you? That that's lock style, as they as it's described, boat fishing. Yeah. So um, lock style fly fishing is where you're fishing from a boat. Um, you're paired with a partner before the match. And then what you'll do is you'll head out and you have to fish flies that are of a certain size. You can't use a fly that's over a certain size during the match. And three, is it three quarters of an inch, I think? It's 15 sixteenths of an inch. I'm not quite sure why it's uh, <laughs> that specific, but um, yeah, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the biggest size fly you can use in lock style fly fishing. And it's a case that you, you drift with the wind, don't you? And you have to cast in front of the boat. So you can't drag flies behind you or troll in any way. You've got to keep in control of the flies and they've got to be in front of the boat. That's it. So there's, there's no anchoring allowed. You have to be drifting all the time. Yeah, and you, but you use, you, I, I've done a little bit of it and you use a, a, a drogue out the back, don't you? Slow you down like a sea anchor. Uh, most people would call that. But, but it's interesting that you, you've done um, some fly fishing and then from there developed, obviously, a, a, a great love of lure fishing because um, lure fishing, a lot of the time, is is almost, it is the next step, isn't it? You're going from bits of fur and feather to bits of plastic, wood and metal. So it, 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 it's similar. You're trying to trick a fish into taking something that is totally inedible making them believe that either it's edible or it's an enemy they should be doing away with. <laughs> I mean, I've always really enjoyed both. Uh, I love fly fishing. I love lure fishing. Um, I think it's just, as you say, tricking the fish into thinking that it's eating something real. That's the, the thing that I love about it the most. Me too. I'm, I'm, I'm always intrigued why they should do it. I'm, I'm equally frustrated when you see sometimes a whole shoal of fish following your lure back and looking at it, but not wanting to eat it at all. It just, and that happens especially with mullet. Mullet are the world's worst. They, they, they'll follow anything. You can wind 100 miles an hour and, and they'll follow it and, and you stop and they stop. And it's like a game of cat and mouse. And they're always six inches away from the nearest point on the lure. And, and, and they can drive you back. I've never caught a mullet on a lure. One day I might. They do catch one variety of mullet. Is it the golden greys? They catch on um, sort of mackerel spinners or meps with a little bit of line trailing behind me, the hook with some ragworm on it. I think that's that's something I've never done. But I know they used to catch them when I used to go down to Devon. There was, it was a river on, on the X. They used to catch them like that. And I know they catch them on some parts of the south coast as well. I think they're golden greys. So have you got any um, desires to go back to international fishing because you fished for the lure fishing team as well didn't you yeah uh, and and that was a fantastic experience as well so back in 2013 um the angling trust decided to enter a lure fishing team into the lure fishing world championships and i was really lucky to be selected for the first ever team and that world championships was held on Loch Erne in northern ireland and then I fished the next two years. Um, the next international was in France. And then the one after that was on a place called Lake Viljandi in Estonia, very close to the border of Russia. 
Um, I haven't done any competition fishing for a little while now, but um, I may get back into it at some point. So uh, I'm, I'm taking a bit of a break and um, I'm quite enjoying my fishing at the moment, but uh, I definitely might delve back into it in the future. Yes, it just it, it's it's a very high pressure thing. And I can imagine how difficult Loch Erm was because you've only got two species there, haven't you? You've got pike and perch. There's no zander. There's no other predatory fishing or I assume bream didn't count because they quite often get caught on lures but they're certainly not part I wouldn't think they're part of the lure fishing itinerary are they uh, no no it's just um pike and perch they were the uh, the species mm. there um but in on black bourget which is the big alpine lake that we fished in the the next world championships there was zander in there as well but there was only one zander caught during the whole match so um oh, that's bizarre. most 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 of the, the catches were made up of pike. And the way that the Fipsed competitions work is that for every centimetre, you get more points for catching a pike than a perch. So on each venue, what you'll have is a minimum size for the pike and the perch and the zander that are allowed to count in the competition. And then for every extra centimetre that the fish measures over that length, you get extra points. Price Picks is daily fantasy sports made easy. How does it work? You pick two to six players, and if they will go score more or less than their Price Picks projection, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. Didn't get your picks in before the game started? No problem. You can get in the game for the second half. Sign up today using promo code HOLIDAY and get your first deposit instantly matched up to $100. Go to prizepicks.com or download the mobile app and enter code HOLIDAY to get your deposit match. Some restrictions do apply. See the website for details. And you get more for a pike than you do for a perch. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it varies on the species. How elitist. Well, if, if you're in, I don't know if you've fished any of the Balkan states, but they've got things like asp, which are um, a, a very predatory fish that looks a bit like an eye. It looks a bit like a chub, uh, but they've got teeth and everything. Would they count in those kind of competitions? Do, do, if, if you're in Spain, do um, largemouth bass count if they're in the, the fishery? I think what they have are designated competitions for the bass in places like Spain and France. Uh-huh. So they don't, they won't actually count in the, uh, the FIP said lure fishing championships, the ASP. How elite. Um, them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would be nice if they did count them actually, because it would make for yeah. uh, more species to target and add a different sort of branch to it as well. But um, with the ASP, and, and more the, habitat, more habitat to target as well, because the, the the bass are going to be deep in weed beds and 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 lily pads and and need some getting out and a lot of top water fishing. That would be really exciting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they do have a Fipsed Bass Fishing World Championships, um, but it would be interesting if they did count largemouth bass in with the the um, the freshwater predators boat fishing championships. Yeah. Then it, then you'd have a whole host of species you could target. Going back to the asp, um, exactly. there were nice there view. were big competitions held in Holland, such as the Predator Tour, the World Predator Classic, and the Lure Masters. And as far as I know, they don't count asp 
in the matches. It's just Pike, Perch and Xander because I fished in the Predator Tour about three years ago, which is on a big venue called Holland's Deep. It's it's basically a massive... It's actually a dammed estuary, so it's where the River Rhine and the, the Meuse, I think, meet, and they form this great big... It's almost like a delta. It's a huge expanse of water. Um, I mean, it's it's many times bigger than our biggest reservoir in the UK, which is Rutland. And um, they have asp there because the way that the asp got into the river was that there was a canal built from Eastern Europe linking the Danube, which is where the asp originate from, to the, the rivers that drain out through Holland and Germany. And that's how the asp reach those, those countries. So they are there and they catch some fantastic asp. Uh, and it's a species I've not caught yet, so that's one I'd, I'd really love to catch. But as far as I know, they don't count them in those matches I've mentioned. I'll have to put you in touch with my mate Radomir Kirkic in um, Serbia. He loves his asp fishing. He's got a river um, that he goes and fishes, and, and, and he's, he's always telling me about the big asp that got away. So you have to be careful how you say it, of course. But anyway, um, <laughs> now you were sponsored. You were sponsored. Yeah, I, I don't know me ask from my elbow, but that's a different story. Uh, you were sponsored for quite a time by Pure Fishing, weren't you? Yeah, so um, I was very lucky, actually, because I was only 17 at the time I was approached. But um, they they asked me whether I would be interested in, in becoming a consultant for them. And... Oh, you're I mean, a consultant was, rather than just a sponsored angler. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it was a dream come true for me, really, because some of my favorite lures we used to bring back from America, our holidays out there, were Berkeley lures. In fact, I caught my first four pound plus perch on the old double tail grub, which is basically a, a twin tail. And yeah, my role with pure fishing would be to, to try out lures from the American market and advise pure fishing in the uk which of those should be brought over to the uk market for targeting our predators because a lot of the 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 lures that were designed by uh, companies under the pure fishing umbrella which included berkeley abu garcia sabil mitchell um, they were designed for the bass fishing market and what i would do is i would try them out in the uk and it turned out that they work really well for freshwater and saltwater predators here as well. So, yeah, I would be advising them which lures that they should bring over and uh, try out in the UK market. Now, from pure fishing, uh, you then went to Fox. And I know that was as, as a consultant and and. And your dad, Gary, he was he was he got a sponsorship as well with Fox, but obviously because of the amount of of, of um, your fame and almost notoriety uh, as lure anglers, as a pair of lure anglers. But you, but you had the consultant role. H- how do you and they see that role? Are you involved in every aspect of lure product development, like hardware, rods and reels, and and line, for example, or is it just lures? What they do is that. I mean, Fox have a, a series of consultants all around Europe. So if the company are out to design a specific product that's aimed at a particular species or a particular style of fishing, what they'll do is they'll they'll contact one of the consultants that kind of specializes in a particular area 
and and asked them for their advice on how they could design or improve an item of tackle that they have or they're thinking about bringing into the market and they kind of you know tweak the ideas and, and improve them and uh the uh you know the end result will be a product that uh you know has been tried and tested really by uh someone that you know kind of knows in the field like what uh you know species they they work for yeah that's that's very interesting because it's it's something that that lures um are, can be very species specific can't they but if if you want something that you know is going to work mostly for pike then it's best to get someone that knows how to catch pike to use it yeah yeah um you know i mean also um you have different species like the asp we've just mentioned in europe um other predators as well like bass um saltwater species um you know some of the guys in europe they like to to lure fish for trout salmon um you've got hookan as well um, which is like a big predatory trout. So, um, and in fact, there's another oh, yeah. species you, of Xander you... in Eastern Europe. Is there really? So there are two species of Xander. You've got the the Xander, which is in the UK. Um, and then you have the Volga Xander, which is a smaller species of Xander that's found in the, the Danube and Volga basins. Well, there's something else I've learned today. I, I, I love all this learning. You, you've, you mentioned bass. You've got into your, and, and we'll have to call them sea bass because we've already mentioned largemouth bass and black bass. So you, you've got, let's let's call them once sea bass and then revert to bass. You, you've got into sea bass fishing a bit this year. Yeah. Um, so I've been exploring along the Essex and Suffolk coasts and, and fishing a few different estuaries for, for bass and um I've tried a few different marks and it's been a big learning curve for me because, I mean, I have fished for bass in the UK, but uh, I haven't put in, you know, lots of time for them. So uh, I've been doing a lot of learning and and trying out different lures and it's been great fun. Um, The fishing hasn't always been easy, um, but uh, I love trying different places and yeah, I've I've, I've learned a lot and I managed to catch a, a new PB bass during the summer so uh, i was well made up with that what do you do you measure on length or do you measure on weight so i i, I measured that fish and it was 62 centimeters so um it's just a quicker way of um you know you don't have to put the fish yeah. in a waist sling and get the scales out um you yeah. can just quickly put it on a measuring mat and then slip it back have you got any idea what that would have weighed I've got my sum. I do the old um, length times. I measure the girth as well. Length times girth. Length times girth squared. Times my, uh, divided. Length time. Yeah, divided by eight hundred. That's right. My guess would gives you answer in pounds. Be of around five pounds. I would say. Lovely fish. So uh, yeah, I mean, I was I was chuffed with that because most of the bass that we had been catching from that particular spot were schoolies and that was significantly yeah. bigger than any of the other schoolies that me and my dad had caught over the previous trips. So, um, uh, it's a great way of fishing. I really enjoy fishing for the bass and I think I'm going to do a bit more of it this autumn as well. I've done a little bit of it. I've, I've done a bit down in Cornwall 
and uh, some in Ireland as well, some in Wales. And it is thrilling fishing. I mean, the, the, the stuff we did in Ireland, in, in Cove Harbour, was just out of this world. Fishing surface lures, fishing... Um, we were fishing head and super spooks and sort of flicking them across the surface. And you'd see the, the mouth coming out behind and, and chomping at it and just missing. And uh, the biggest one I had was, I think I my biggest one was £7.11. But God. the guy from the hotel where we stayed, the Bella Vista, he was fishing in a boat next to ours and he had one £10.3.5. And, and that's a hell of a hell of a bass on a lure is that. That's a serious fish. God, I'd love to uh, oh, yeah, catch a, yeah, catch one like that in the future. Yeah, getting stuck into that was good fun. And we got some, we we were working for tight lines. We had a great cameraman, Andrew Vandervoort was with us. And he was he was actually catching the, the, the swirls of the bass at the lure as we were sort of jerking it out the way. And he got the, the strike on so many fish. It was, it was amazing. So um, I've just met, Name dropping in, name dropping Ireland. What, what's your favourite place to fish in the world so far? Where, where you've been? I know you've been to, to to various countries. You fished in the Indian Ocean. You fished in the Atlantic. You've been in the Pacific yet, yeah? or or where, where's your favourite place? Cool. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm lucky. I've fished in in quite a few different countries now, and um, I love travelling to new places and fishing for different species. I think if I had to choose one place, it would probably be either Costa Rica or Sri Lanka. The, the, the fishing that we had there was fantastic. What kind of species were you catching there? So the first of those trips was Costa Rica, and we went to a lodge called the Zancudo Lodge, which is based on the Golfo Dulce. It's like a, a big bay that's situated in the south of Costa Rica, on the Pacific side, it's it's very close to the border of Panama, actually. And there we fished for a variety of different species. Um, the main one that we set out to try and catch were rooster fish, because a few years before we'd made a trip to the Baja Peninsula in Mexico, and we, we'd failed to catch a rooster fish. So um, that was our main target. But, um, I mean, Costa Rica has some fantastic fishing. And, I mean, there's a whole host of species there that uh, are great fun to fish for. You've got Cabrera snapper, um, you know, a variety of different snapper species, groupers, jacks. And then if you go offshore, you've got some fantastic blue water fishing for uh, sailfish, marlin, uh, different tuna species, wahoo, mahi-mahi, and that's just one side of Costa Rica. Uh, we concentrated that trip on the Pacific side. But if you go on to the, the Atlantic side, uh, they have some fantastic tarpon fishing and some huge snook as well. Yeah, you, you've mentioned two itches that I wouldn't mind scratching there. The um, rooster fish being being the main one uh, and Kibera snapper. I mean, I, I know there are Kiberas in Florida, but I've never managed to uh, to latch into one. But uh, having had experience of quite a few of the various jacks and knowing how nasty they are, and with rooster fish being amongst the nastiest, nastiest of the nasty jacks, um, I wouldn't mind having a having a dangle for one of those. But that's that's in the future, and who knows what the future holds there. Now, uh, where do you fish? Spend most of your time fishing now. Uh, I enjoy fishing lots of different places. Really, um, I'm lucky that I have some some you know great fishing around 
you know, close to where I live, which is just outside Hartford. So I've got a lot of rivers like the Lee, uh, the Stort, the Rib, and those kind of places where the fishing's not particularly easy, but you've always got the chance of a, a good fish. Um, I like to fish those mainly for perch and chub. I enjoy fishing on the reservoirs, such as Grafham, Rutland and Pittsford uh, for pike, perch and zander. And I always enjoy exploring other venues as well. So different rivers, lakes. Um, I've just joined a, a, a gravel pit, actually, a, a really big gravel pit that's got pike, perch and zander. And um, I'm looking forward to fishing that a bit more during the winter months. But I've had a couple of trips there already. And um, it's not been easy so far, but uh, I've caught a couple of nice perch and um, I fished it quite recently and uh, I managed to catch a, a pike of around 15 pound as well. So I think it's got a lot of potential. I saw that saucy photo you put up on Facebook with that pike. That was a magnificent looking fish, wasn't it? Well, a real wild normal lean fish well actually i think you might have given me some good luck on that day keith because i'd just spoken to you on the phone and i don't think i told you actually but i was just about to go fishing so uh i'd popped out for the last couple of hours with my dad and uh we went straight into a swim and my first cast in that swim i had a bite on the drop so as the lure was falling down to the bottom and it turned out to be that pike. See, if I hadn't have delayed you, who knows? <laughs> yeah, so, um, no, we, we, we've had a couple of trips to that gravel pit, and uh, it's looking like a very interesting place. So uh, I'm looking forward to spending a bit more time on there over the winter. Now, people that think fox are paying you far too much, um, I suppose, wouldn't understand that you, you, you have a full-time job, uh, but currently you're furloughed. What, what do you normally do? So uh, I'm a sales advisor at Farlow's and I'm based in the shop down in London and, you know, advising customers what gear to to uh, buy or take for whatever species they're targeting. That must be an enthralling job because I, I worked in, in Acton Angling Centre and Hammersmith Angling Centre and George's in Hackney and everybody wanted to know how to catch fish out of the Grand Union Canal, the Regent's Canal, the Thames, sometimes even as far afield as the Ouse. But I would imagine you get quite a few international customers there, don't you? Well, yeah. I mean, the shop's based on Pall Mall, so we have a lot of, of, of customers from all around the world, really. Um, you never know who's going to walk through the door next. And I've learned so much since being there about fishing for different species around the world, um, talking to customers and also my colleagues as well that have, have fished for uh, various different species in different countries so i mean you never know who's going to walk through the door next it could be someone that wants to do a little bit of lure fishing on the regent's canal for perch or it could be someone that's going to south america and fishing in argentina for golden dorado you just you never really know so um no i've, I've learned a lot in the time that i've been there um, about fishing for these different species and um it's kind of wet my appetite to to go to these different countries and try and catch them myself. I bet it is. Now, have you got a, a couple of tips for anglers that would like to, maybe they, they, they fancy lure fishing, but have never done it. They might think you need too much specialized gear and, and it's going to be very expensive. What, what kind of tips would you give someone like that? Once try lure fishing for the first time. I think the first thing I would say is that if you could just choose a couple of lures 
Uh, don't overcomplicate things to start with, because if you if you look at the lures that were available, there were so many different kinds of of lures, colours, um, tactics. It can all be a little bit mind blowing, but if you just kind of pick and choose one or two types of lures to get to learn to know and fish, um, and not overcomplicate things really, that that will help in the long run. And once you've got the hang of using those, then you can try another type of lure and get the hang of using that as well. And then concentrate maybe just on one or two venues to start with. Learn about those venues and the way that they fish and what types of lures work well there. And then in the future, then you can move on to other venues or different types of venues and that's where you might learn more about fishing other different types of lures. And it might require other types of gear as well. So, for example, if you're, if you're fishing on a canal, um, a good all-round setup would be a rod of around seven foot that casts lures between three and 14 grams. So that's sort of th- sort of eighth of an ounce. That's about half, half an ounce. ounce. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. Um, you know, just a... A couple of types of lures you could use on your local canal would be shads and curl tails. Start with those, get to learn about those. And then um, say if you want to fish a gravel pit in the future, then you can fish your lighter setup for perch. But, um, you know, if, if you want to go out and target pike or zander or, you know, one of those different species, then you, you've got a little bit of experience under your belt from, from fishing on the, on the canals um and then you can go out and you know use some different gear and um learn more from there before you make the major investment in rods and reels could you get away with using sort of a nine or ten foot quiver tip rod and and your normal feeder reel it depends on the tactic that you're using really i think there's only one tactic that um you know a, a quiver tip rod would really suit for and that would be drop shotting uh, but apart from that, you're, you're best off starting with a much shorter rod that's got a stiffer action um, because when you retrieve the lures, the lures are, are often much heavier than, you know, a float or, you know, even a, a quiver tip um, like a feeder. So basically, you want a rod that's going to be able to handle the lures that you're using. And for that, you'll require a shorter rod with a pokier action. I've got to say, I bought one for 30 quid. Um, I was amazed how good it was for 30 quid. And I've, I've, I've got rods now that cost 10 times that. Um, I don't think they're 10 times as good as the one that cost 30 quid. But I, could, I got a lot of enjoyment out of that. And it was an Akuma. I got a lot of enjoyment. And it was in a sale. A real loads of fun fishing with that on the canals on on i've even used it in the sea i've caught um i've caught bass both regular bass and spotted bass in portugal using it and it was just a brilliant little rod for 30 quid it's 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 almost throwaway money oh you can kit yourself out with a, a really nice lure setup for um you know 75 80 quid um you know there are some great lure rods out there that are sort of around the 30 35 pound mark um you know, reels of a similar kind of price. You can then pair it up with your braid and, and trace and a few lures and you're ready to go. And then you walk into the shop and spend 250 quid on a box full of lures. 
because <laughs> that's what you do. <laughs> you can't help it, can you? It, it, you can get a little bit carried away, especially when you walk into one of the American tackle shops, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, don't. Is, is there... Now, now that's several tips. Is there one tip you could give a novice lure angler, someone that's starting and not doing too well, that would improve their technique? I would say the main thing is to... I mean, it's really, you don't want to overcomplicate things, as I've already mentioned, but um, it's, it's all about sort of building up confidence, really, in, in, you know, what you're using and just going out there and, and spending time on the bank or a float and becoming familiar with where you're fishing and what you're fishing for and the types of lures that you're fishing. And, you know, the more time you spend doing that, the... Uh, you know, the more familiar you'll get with the, the tactic and you'll learn more at the same time. Great. Now, this is a proper piece of string question for you now, or almost two questions. Do you think you can fish with lures anywhere? And where is the weirdest place you've ever fished with a lure? Well, I mean, you could. you Theoretically, you could travel around the world with one lure and give yourself the chance of catching so many different species and the type of lure i would probably choose for something like that would be something like a spoon which is basically like a a flat blade really that's made out of metal and what you can do is just cast it out and and wind it back and it kind of flutters from side to side and i mean if if you were to use that in this country um you have the chance of catching pike perch Xander, um, in the sea, you've you've got the chance of catching bass, garfish, uh, those kind of species. But if you were to take them to, you know, a tropical country, um, if you're heading there on holiday, you've got the chance of catching so many different saltwater species. Um, You know, the list is endless, really. So that would be a, a very good kind of lure. Now that, that's a great tip. I, I like that, that spoon idea. And, and you'll also get fish on the drop sometimes using those, won't you? I've, I've caught fish on the drop on a spoon when you don't think you're going to. Suddenly, you think, this place is really deep. I didn't know it was that deep. You close the bale, I'm on the rod bends in half. I've, <laughs> I've been that soldier. Last question. Where's the, and I mentioned it just now, have you got a place that you would consider really weird to fish with lures? Because I've seen things on YouTube of people fishing spillways, um, channels that have got no water in sometimes, and they've got water in, and when the water's there, the fish is there. I mean, I know we've not got anything like that over here, but somewhere where you wouldn't in your wildest dreams imagine anyone fishing a lure. Have you been there, done it, and caught one? Um, I would say I have fished in a few different strange places around the world. Um, Last year, I went to Malaysia and I fished for a fish called a giant snakehead, which is basically, it's almost like, well, it resembles a snake, actually, when you look at its head. Um, but uh, it's, it's a predatory fish that, that grows up to around 40 pound in size. And I visited a, a lake and we, we stayed at the lake. It's, it's, it's called the Tamenga Dam. And it's a huge dam that's about 100 miles long. And uh, we fished there with a guy called Benny Chu. And Benny took us into the jungle uh, where the, 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 the lake is. And what happened is that we had to go through some army barracks to actually 
fish the lake because half of the lake is situated in the Royal Bullum National Park and that borders Thailand. So what you have to do is before you head out fishing, you have to go into the army barracks, get checked over and then head out into the national park where you can fish. And uh, that was a, a fantastic place to fish. The wildlife there was amazing. And, um, you know, you'd be fishing away and um, you'd see gibbons like jumping through the trees. There were elephants on the bank. There were otters. Uh, the wildlife was absolutely stunning. And, um, I mean, it was cut off from the rest of the world, really, because you'd be driving up all the different arms of the lakes. There were lots of different creeks and um you have like indigenous tribes there that are completely cut off from, you know, the, the rest of the world, really. And it was like almost going into Jurassic Park, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, I do. Because it, it was so remote and that was a fantastic trip. And I managed to catch uh, the giant snakehead, I managed to catch a few in the end and so did dad. And uh, we also caught a fish called a jungle perch as well, which is like a, it's like a small marcia, um, which is resembling a carp in a way that with really large scales. It's almost like a, a fully scaled mirror carp, but that grows a lot bigger and is is predatory. How big were they? How big did they go to where you were? We caught them up to probably about two, two and a half pounds. But they, they grow up to about seven or eight pounds in size, the jungle perch. But the marcia, um, I mean, they grow much bigger. And Mar Malaysia do have their own species of marcia. You normally think of marcia being in places like India or Thailand, but they are in Malaysia as well. But they're a different type to the, the golden marcia that mm. uh, are probably the most well-known that you find in northern India. Well, I think, Sam, we could describe your life at the moment as have lure will travel. <laughs> and it's been enthralling talking to you and and obviously you're you're a very talented angler you're lucky to have a dad who, who's, who's if nothing else company uh, as well as being competition as well because he likes to catch a few fish doesn't he uh, so <laughs> you know you, you've had you've had a, a wonderful life so far and you've got donkey's years in front of you yet it'll be interesting to to, to see your progress into the future but uh, as, as as you say we've, we've known each other for a very long time it's been Amazing talking to you, mate. Thanks so much for joining me on board the strange boat. And I hope to see you soon. And um, we can chat about old times, maybe have a little chuck in on the Thames close to where I live, because I know how much you love the river down here. And obviously it's, uh, it's on the doorstep. So, yep, fantastic talking to you, Sam. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, that sounds good to me. Thanks very much, Keith. And, and thank you again. Thanks to Sam Edmonds for joining me aboard this cruise on the strange boat. Please don't forget to rate, like and follow or subscribe to the podcast and join us for our next journey on The Strange Boat. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Helen Lewis, and I want to tell you about a podcast I've made for BBC Radio 4 and BBC Sounds. It's called The New Gurus, and it's about how everywhere you look on the internet, people are giving advice. Advice they claim will transform your life. Advice that gets some thousands, even millions of devoted followers. 
these online prophets are telling us how to eat, how to think, how to get rich, how to find love, how to manage our time. So how exactly are these gurus changing our lives and the world around us? And who holds them to account? Find out by subscribing to The New Gurus wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Sports Social Podcast Network Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.